Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, October the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's the Mailbag Friday show. We'll get to a bunch of your questions. Plus, it's College Football Friday. And I have some thoughts on civil discourse, decorum, some Albert Breer work, and Josh Rosen's strange Q&A session on the Miami Dolphins social media platforms. All of that and more. But first, before any of it, as we do every day, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Tuned In, Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all the daily written content on this football team you could ever desire. We have a busy show like we always do. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So a non-football topic that reaches its way into football here, talking about civil discourse and decorum when it comes to debating, and I'm talking more about scouting and the idea that pretty much everybody out there has their own scouting mindset or their own scouting opinions And I think that's absolutely great. I think the discussion around this game, the more we can get of it, it's going to make everything better. But the shortcuts I see some folks take when it comes to talking about these quarterbacks or players, and by no means am I or any other scout or wannabe scout or whatever the hell we are, none of us are the gold standard by any means. I'm not trying to say that, but my goodness, is it such a slap in the face to just pop up in a conversation and say something like, Tua plays with an elite team around him, and he plays against New Mexico State. Therefore, he's not a good prospect. I mean, to dismiss the hours and hours I and we spend on this stuff, trying to provide a balanced, objective opinion that hopefully teaches you something, that's the main goal, and gives you a new perspective that you hadn't considered before, it just really bothers me when I run into that stuff because it's short-sighted and, again, a slap in the face to the folks that do work hard on this stuff. And again, there's nothing I'd rather do than talk football. It's literally the only thing I care to do outside of spending time with my wife and my few hobbies, like watching movies and TV and that stuff. But can we please just collectively realize that it's okay to not have an opinion on everything? I mean, you don't have to join every conversation. If you only saw the Clemson game, or maybe it was the Georgia game, whatever, then just say, hey, look, I saw the two games. I didn't think he did well in these specific areas. I would love to have that response because it would entice me to engage in the discussion further where you say he has great receivers, he plays bad teams. I'm not going to respond to that because I know you didn't do your homework and it's not worth the discussion. And so I hope this doesn't come off as preachy, but it just really, really, really annoys me so much so that I decided to lead the show off with it. But I guess that's the good thing about being the host of the show because... Well, I have a microphone and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! Every word I have to say, that's what we got to do here. And then to make a hard change to the right, one more topic I wasn't going to broach here, but talking about the name of the football team in Washington, 
let's just go ahead and do this real quick. Someone commented on my timeline and I really appreciated those kind words saying that they were proud or I guess commending me for not using the team name. And there were some folks that were annoyed by that. And look, I get that you have the right to generate your own opinions, but what I don't understand is the stance of getting upset that people choose not to use that word. For me, it just makes me feel very uncomfortable. I live in central Washington. There are reservations all throughout the valley here. It's just not a word that I think is essential to any aspect of life, and I really do believe they should change that name. It's pretty simple if you ask me. People will forget about it in a few years. That's it. That's all. Let's talk about some football now here. And the latest piece from Albert Breer titled Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins face fragile NFL futures. And really the gist of the article starts off with a recollection from Brady Quinn back at the 2007 draft, which also has ties to the Miami Dolphins. And I wonder if that's why Breer used him in the example, but he talked about Quinn's fall down the draft board that day and how eventually he went to the restroom. Roger Goodell invited him back to a private green room to get him out of that major spotlight that he was under. Brady Quinn denies the initial invitation and then circled back and accepted the invitation to get himself out of that public eye. And there he received phone calls from teams that were talking about drafting him, one of which was the Baltimore Ravens who said they were going to trade up over the Dallas Cowboys into the 22nd spot and draft Brady Quinn. And from there, Quinn allowed his mind to go to different spots, thinking about how this might be the best situation for me. And it allowed him to come back off of the anger and the disappointment that he felt from falling that far in the draft. Because when you do go up high in the draft, you're probably going to go to a bad football team. And a quick aside right here, this is outside of the Albert Breer column. I get a little bit annoyed also. I guess this is Travis's Friday vent day. But I get a little bit annoyed that people suggest that Tua Tungavailoa would spurn the Dolphins and say, I want to go somewhere else because who are the other options? Washington, Cincinnati, you want to go play for Mike Brown, who has like four scouts on staff and probably pays them minimum wage. You want to go to an organization that is unanimously known as a joke of a franchise with Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen, who said the culture is pretty damn good, despite the fact that everything around them is crumbling and they can't get anybody to come to their home games besides the opposing team's fan base. I mean, it's just ridiculous, this notion that Miami is somehow behind those two teams who have no future draft capital besides the top pick they will have in 2020. They've got no future upside as far as the way they handle their operating procedures because Mike Brown is not going to spend money on free agents. He's not going to give extensions to his own guys. And Dan Snyder, do I have to go in depth on that? It just kind of irks me that Miami somehow are worse off than those two teams when the Dolphins have an owner who is all the way committed to winning football games and getting this thing back on the right track where Dan Snyder only cares about his profits and Mike Brown, who knows what the hell he wants. He just does his own thing in Cincinnati. So let's stop talking about that. Let's jump back into the Albert Breer column. He talks about Brady Quinn's situation, how if he had gone to the Ravens with that pick, he's surrounded by Hall of Famers on defense, a quality offensive line with a good running game, and it didn't work out that way. Instead, the Browns come up of all teams and select Quinn with the trade-up move that they made, and everything was different for him. And the entire article talks about circumstances and the situations these quarterbacks are put in, which, of course, we're looking at traits and skills and things that translate, but again, the thing that matters the most is the fit. And if you can build a program and develop that player with a plan in place for how you're going to develop them, that's the most important thing about drafting a quarterback. So if this staff and this regime is two years into the idea of a quarterback and they've put pieces in place to make him the best quarterback he can be, 
That should be confidence inspired. That should inspire confidence, I should say. And then the last note here, going on to Joey Harrington, who was drafted in 2002, said, quote, when I was in Atlanta in 2007, I was still trying to fix what happened to me in Detroit. You'll recall Harrington got blasted time after time after time with that bad Lions organization for several years. So he says it took him five years to get fixed after that. He then says, take a round number, say 50 guys in the NFL, with the exception of Drew Brees and Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning when Joey was playing, there's 50 guys who can make every single throw, can make every single read, can do everything necessary to be an NFL quarterback, and circumstances determine the trajectory of their career. So unless you get one of those elite all-timers, it's mostly about the circumstances you put that quarterback into. Something to consider, something to think about. Is Tua in that realm of those guys? Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But I think everybody else, pretty much for the most part, we can dismiss as not being in that held in that vein. So if you do go after a Jake Fromm or a Justin Herbert, you guys know the list. You're going to have to find a way to support them. And I know that's been the argument of so many folks out there on Twitter. And that's why I believe that Tua is different than all these guys, because he gives you the chance to still be good, even if you don't hit home runs on the rest of the roster. Of course, ideally, you would hit those home runs and have the quarterback. That's what they're trying to do here this year in Miami. And the biggest stepping stone to make that happen this year is the game Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. And you can make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 with Vivid Seats. We'll come right back and take your questions on the Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. see that Twitter update or Instagram, whatever social media platform you're on, where the Dolphins interview or do question and answers with the players, and it's questions like, is a hot dog a sandwich or other questions that I guess need to be answered, but did you guys see the one with Josh Rosen the other day where, I don't know, there's just something about his attitude and his the way he carries himself I just can see why he rubs folks the wrong way. And I know everyone's going to say, this is just me piling on because I'm not a big fan of his game. But it was such a weird Q&A. The the demeanor that he has and the grumbling of his voice, it just seems very shut off and maybe not very receptive to, this is a, a, a bit of a reach, but coaching maybe, or just people in general. There was something about that that whole thing that just rubbed me the wrong way. Check it out for yourself. Let me know what you think on Twitter. I'm sure you will. And with that, speaking of Twitter, let's go ahead and jump in here to your questions on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond, and I answer as many questions on the podcast here as we can get to. And this first one here comes in from Steve Anderson. He's at Jersey Fin Fan. What honestly more do I have to say to the fans blowing up my Twitter to get them to believe that we're tanking? He then lists all the negative stats that we have that you guys have heard on this podcast over and over again. Honestly, Steve, I don't know, man, because it's pretty apparent that this team is so much worse than even the next worst team in the National Football League. You even mentioned it. Two touchdowns for the Dolphins. Washington scored nine, so four times that. You extrapolate that over the rest of the season, you're going to wind up with eight touchdowns for Miami and 36 for Washington. So that's certainly 
something to consider. And I actually talked about this on the Locked On NFL podcast on Thursday's show for them, how the plan always revolved around having a high draft pick, like Stephen Ross mentioned a few months back when he said maybe five or six wins, win those home games, but still be in a position to go up and draft a quarterback high. Well, I think that once they realized, okay, training camp has come and gone. Josh Rosen's not the answer. Jadavian Clowney does not want to be here. Some of these guys are not fitting in like we had hoped, like Rashad Jones. or Maybe Albert Wilson wasn't healthy enough to get back. Kenny Stills has that spat with Stephen Ross. And then, of course, you get the insane trade offers for Tunzel and eventually Minka Fitzpatrick. And so they really just kind of went all in on getting the first overall pick without having to lose any more additional draft picks to make the trade to go up and get him. So I don't know what to tell you, Steve. I think it's pretty apparent. I would just say move on to the next conversation, I suppose. Next one here from Anthony Meester. He's at Meester Tweets. February 7th, 2021 at 7 o'clock Eastern. I know this is going already. Mrs. Wingfield is going into labor with your firstborn child, Cam. (laughs) It's Dolphins 17, Packers 7, fourth quarter about to start in the Super Bowl. Are you watching the Tua-led Dolphins try to seal the deal or driving the mother of your child to the hospital? I mean you know, DVR is a thing, Game Pass, watching from my phone. I can't, I have to go with the latter there because it's the birth of the first child. And I mean, I do want to be there for that moment because let's be honest, the Dolphins haven't really loved me back for the last 20 years. Mrs. Wingfield has only loved me every single day since I met her. So she's been fantastic. I will choose her over the Dolphins any day of the week. Next question comes from OrangeFin44. He's at jshu2313. Do you feel any differently about Jordan Love after the poor performance or was his team just completely overmatched? I'll tell you this about Jordan Love and this has been kind of a development from this season because I thought last year he played really well a lot of the time, especially in that Michigan State opener. But I think that this year, My stance has changed in that I don't think he's ready to come in and be a franchise savior right away. I think he, going back to that first segment about Joey Harrington, I think Jordan Love's success immediately will depend upon the system and the situation that he goes to. I don't think he's the Tua Tungavailoa level of quarterback that I think comes in right away and plays well regardless of the situation. I do think Love will have a good career if he gets in the right situation. Is that here? I'm just not sure that it is right now. Next one here comes in from Daniel DeVito. He's at DeVito Daniel. Are you really Danny DeVito? That's a pretty cool name. I feel we're I feel we are a better team than Washington. How do we tank this game without looking like a tank? Just play the game because frankly Washington's a better football team. They've got more talent. The statistics point in their direction. They were three touchdowns ahead of the Eagles on opening day. They were close with the Cowboys a couple weeks back. They came back a little bit on the Bears. If Case Keenum plays, it's not going to be a game. They're going to win. Dolphins are going to lose. This is the plan. This is the idea. It's going to be a rough season if you want wins this year. And that was by design. Next question here from Chris LaRondo. He's at Extortion. I laud your work in evaluation of players and you have been doing it for a while. Can you name your top three hits and misses? We can limit it to drafted players. That's a great call there. I'm going to start with Dalvin Cook, I think, because I actually am sitting on a tweet right now from about three years ago that I kind of want to bring back, but I also don't because it's too early. But I said that Dalvin Cook would have 2,000 yards from scrimmage one day in his career and I mocked him in the top 10 at the spot the Panthers took Christian McCaffrey, which obviously they hit that pick out of the park but I think Dalvin Cook is already a premier running back so that was a good one Derwin James was my number one overall player on the board that year at safety and he made the all pro team as a safety rookie that's unheard of that was one of my better ones as well 
And just going off the top of my head here, because uh, there's so many picks that I've gone over the last, you know, multiple years, decades even, I'll go with Earl Thomas because I thought Miami should have drafted him in that spot back in 2010. I thought he had Hall of Fame potential. That's where he's going to wind up. There was Taylor Mays that year in the draft that folks thought he was going to be the better player and that Pete Carroll should take him over Earl Thomas because he played at USC with Pete Carroll. Earl Thomas was awesome. He was always awesome. He flew around the field of Texas. I thought it was a no-brainer. So I'll go with those three, James, Thomas, and Dalvin Cook. As far as my three biggest misses, I mean, there's so many of them. I think everybody that does this has tons of them. I'll start with a dolphin here. I was big on Deion Jordan. I thought that was an excellent move, even though they went over Lane Johnson. I just thought Deion Jordan had the length, strength, and speed, and get off, and the pass rush ability to make a real impact in the league. That obviously did not happen. I'll also go with Jared Goff, who I still don't think, I think Jared Goff's overrated. I think he's more of a function of the system and he can really get hot. He can also go super cold, but I said that he was going to be a massive bust and he clearly is not that. And just to get off the draft, we'll go with the third one here. Ryan Tannehill in 2018, I thought was going to have a really good season. Thought the way they structured that offense around him would benefit him. And it worked through the first three games before he had that injury. And then things went downhill. But by the end of 2018, that was the worst version of Ryan Tannehill we'd ever seen. And so clearly I was wrong about that specific player that specific year. So... I'll go with Tannehill, Deion Jordan, and Jared Goff. But if I had more time to think about that, that list would probably change. But just off the top of my head, those are the six. Great question. Next one here comes in from Life Fighter. He's at Branderson7474. Who's your favorite Mariner? Mine is Griffey with Randy a close second. Yeah, it's Griffey by miles and miles and miles. I idolized King Griffey Jr. I actually was a Reds fan from 2001 to like 2009 when he came back to Seattle. I followed him to the Reds because I was a bigger fan of the player than I was the team back then. And now, of course, as an adult who doesn't buy jerseys of every player in the league like I did when I was a child or asked for for Christmas or birthday or whatever. I'm just all about the teams. I don't really care about the individuals anymore. I want to see the team success. So it was Griffey. And the number two is Felix Hernandez because for so many years, when I did come back as a Mariners fan, he was all we had for a decade, really. And to see him, you know, pitch that final game the other night in Safeco Field, or I guess it's T-Mobile Park now, to see him come off the field and in tears, that was really tough, man. Like, I didn't think I had... I didn't think I had that in me, the emotion to like sympathize with a player like that, but goodness, I did, and it was tough to watch. So Griffey by a long shot, then Felix, and probably another significant gap in there, and then third has to be Edgar because he never played anywhere else besides Seattle, and he was one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. And I want to answer this next one here from JT Evans. He is at JT underscore Evans 97. I'm not sure I know how to answer this, JT, but I'll try it my best. Outside of Tua, which plan and players would prevent another 7-9 and nine merry-go-round cycle? Well, I don't have the time to go over the entire process, but I think you're talking about like quarterbacks in specific. And I talked this week about Jake Fromm being quarterback two, and I think that he really would be the one that gives you the best chance to stay in that cycle because he's not the elite upside, but he also doesn't have the dropout floor where he's going to basically put you into the top three of the draft based on his performance, in my opinion. So I think it's probably Justin Herbert or Jordan Love who have that really high upside, but also could have a rookie season that would put you back into the mix for the 2020 quarterback class, which of course has Trevor Lawrence and maybe Justin Fields. So that could be maybe not the worst thing in the world there. 
Okay, we'll come back with some more of your questions and get to College Football Friday here in just a minute. But first, do you ever find yourself wishing that you could make some extra cash with the National Football League and your knowledge of the game? At MyBookie, they want to make your dream come true this season. Right now, all players are invited to play in the free $50,000 Survivor Contest winner takes all. The contest starts October 8th and closes on the 14th before the start of Monday Night Football. Pick one team each week, survive the longest, and you can take home $50,000 in cash money, homie. Make a successful deposit with my bookie and you'll receive your free entry into the contest right now. Do it today. Between football season, the MLB playoffs, and the start of basketball and hockey, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. If you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and do it with MyBookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play. You win, you get paid. That's how it works. Adrian Peterson's not a South Florida native, so he's not going to be going home, but he will be running free on this Dolphins defense, if you ask me. Nice rhyme. Because you think about what the Washington game plan is going to be on Sunday and it's pretty much no surprise. They're going to run the football. They're going to run it a lot. They're going to give it to Adrian Peterson a lot. And then I would assume they're going to try some vertical shots off play action with Case Keenum, which good luck there, Washington. Although you might get Terry McLaurin deep on this defense. We'll see what happens. But I do believe that the Washington game plan is going to be effective because simply... The Dolphins just don't have the bodies to contain that running game. They might have some good success on the inside with Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins and Raekwon McMillan winning some of those reps up front, but they can run the ball off their strong part of the line of scrimmage with Brandon Scherf, with Morgan Moses and Adrian Peterson going after guys like Charles Harris, who gets chucked by tight ends. Chuck, Charles, get it? And guys like Sam McGuavin, who frankly are on the ground more than they are in the backfield making plays. So it's a big concern if you are wanting to win this game. I'm not, so I think it's a good thing, but I do believe that will be where Washington really comes after the Dolphins. And I think I probably should amend my 16-9 to prediction. I think it'll be a little bit wider than that. I'll go with 23-9 now that I've had more time to think about it. Let's get right back into some of these questions here real quick. This one from Jesse Bacatis. He's at Finn Reaper. Go to game snacks and beverage. I'm boring, man. Plus, it's 10 o'clock in the morning out here, so I usually just have my breakfast, which is either like toast and eggs or a protein bar or something like that. And I don't drink during games at all. I'm just not that big of a drinker to begin with. Sometimes I will enjoy some of the finest stuff that the Northwest has to offer, if you know what I mean, when it comes to watching the afternoon games once the Dolphins have finished and work is over. So I'll do that. And I pretty much just don't eat during the games because it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. So not much you can do there. Next question here from Kyle Smith at Kyle Smith, 1626. The expansion Texans had 16 rookies on their 53 man roster. Do you think we approach that number next year? I think they approached that number this year, didn't they? With all the undrafted free agents they had on the roster and the guys they brought in at the end of cutdown day. Well, maybe not rookies, but guys that are playing in their first actual season, like a Jamal Wiltz, for instance, who was on practice squads for two years. You've got Chris Lamonts out there, obviously all the draft picks. But yeah, you mentioned that next year they're going to have all those draft picks. And for a 
a regime or a front office or a coaching staff that likes to get undrafted free agents onto the field. You could definitely see that happening next year. 16 might be a little bit high, but it could be pretty close to that. Good good call there on the Texans and the comparison there. Next one here from Stephen J. Wilson. He's at Stephen J. Wilson on Twitter. Are you going to the draft in Vegas? And the answer to that is no, I'm not going to go to the draft. One, honestly, I don't get the draw of that. I don't see the point in going and sitting in the stands and watching Goodell name off names. It's almost crazy that we do it in front of the TV, but to go to the event and sit there and do it, it just doesn't interest me at all. Like I said, I'm not a big drinker, so that idea with Vegas, it's to me, is overrated. And plus, I'm going to be working that night. I'm going to have the you know the cut-ups and the film workups and doing the deep dives into their character and how they fit on the team like I did with Christian Wilkins and all the draft picks this year. All the stuff that you guys have come to know and love with Locked On Dolphins. So I'll be very, very busy on draft night this year throughout the entire draft because I'm going to have three guys to write up on opening night. That took me about two hours just to do Wilkins last year. So it's going to be a long night for your boy come draft night. All right, that's going to go ahead and wrap up the questions. Let's go ahead and get to the viewing guide for the weekend here real quick. And the games we're keeping an eye on over the weekend. Last Saturday, you guys probably noticed I was not on Twitter that much because I went to a buddy's house and we hung out and watched football all day, which prevented me from giving you the live video updates. I came home later that night and watched all the quarterbacks on DVR and gave you those updates. But this week, my life is back to not having a life, which I'm thrilled about because I'd rather just watch football all day. So I'm going to have multiple games on my DVR, giving you guys updates on certain players at positions across the entire landscape, giving you fits for the Dolphins like I did two weeks ago with all those safeties and offensive linemen and cornerbacks and on and on and on. But this weekend, in addition to all those games, here's the quarterback viewing guide. Justin Herbert plays on Friday at home against Colorado. That's at 10 o'clock Eastern on Fox Sports 1. I expect a big night there from Herbert because this game really suits him well as far as being a home home game in prime time against a bad opponent. And then Saturday, Georgia is home for South Carolina at noon on ESPN. It'll be cool to compare that tape to when Tua played South Carolina. Speaking of Tua, the man himself, he plays at 3.30 on CBS. Alabama is at Texas A&M, the first Crimson Tide game versus a ranked team this season. And then a big one at 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, LSU and Joe Burrow playing the boys from the Swamp in Florida. That game is in LSU, though, 8 o'clock Eastern ESPN. Sunday, the Dolphins obviously playing Washington at 1 o'clock on CBS. The Texans are at the Chiefs. That pick could get better for Miami if Patrick Mahomes is healthy and the ankle is right. That game's at 1 o'clock on CBS. The Saints are at the Jaguars at 1 o'clock on CBS, even though I've kind of given up on that second-round draft pick becoming a higher pick for Miami. The Saints are very, very, very good. The Steelers are at the Chargers. That's the Sunday night prime primetime game, so we could have a big loss in the early afternoon from the Dolphins and then another big loss from the Steelers in the evening. I think this Sunday could be a big one for the Dolphins draft picks. Keep an eye on all of those games. And then lastly here, your boy is back on top. The picks going 4-2 and two last week brings my season total to 20-18 and 18 for the year. Winners, baby. We're on the plus side, and here are six more coming your way here for this weekend in college football. It's going to be a great Saturday. Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River rivalry. Say that five times fast. Over 75 points. They're going to score all day long in that one. I've got Bama and Tua giving 17 points to Texas A&M. Give me the favorite there. Alabama rolls. 
Washington State. Go Cougs, baby. A rough, rough week. A rough couple of weeks for the Cougs. They dismiss, or I guess he quit. The defensive coordinator, no longer there. They're traveling to Arizona State. I think Mike Leach off the bye week gets the boys rolling for the first Pac-12 win of the season. Texas Tech plus 11 against Baylor. I don't really know much about these teams. I know Texas Tech plays a lot of good defense. I think because of that, they can stay close within two scores of Baylor. Wake Forest is minus six and a half against Louisville. Give me the boys from North Carolina. And UW is minus six against the Arizona Wildcats. I think Chris Peterson's defense puts the screws to Khalil Tate and the Arizona passing game. Sorry about that. So those are the six picks. Oklahoma, Texas, over 75. Bama, minus 17. WSU, plus one and a half. Texas Tech, plus 11. Wake Forest, minus six and a half. And UW, minus six in the desert. Check out Thursday's Locked On NFL podcast. I was on for the entire half hour. A really good conversation about some draft picks, the future of Josh Rosen, and the current Miami Dolphins situation. Also, check out Wednesday's Hawkman and Crowder show on 560. I did 12 minutes with Zach and Channing. That was a lot of fun. Check that out. And as always, we'll talk to you guys on Sunday night with a game recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a good rest of your night and weekend. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Check that on Sunday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Saturday, we'll have the college football weekend recap as well. Check that out. Fins up. Go to a...